This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Vanessa on from The Talent Hunter, and our topic today is the need for talent sourcing training on a global scale. So a bunch to unpack there, and I can't wait to get into it with Vanessa. So without any further ado, Vanessa, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and The Talent Hunter? Excellent. Thanks, William. Uh, sure. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, I love being a guest on people's podcasts. I was actually going to start my own podcast just before COVID hit. And then I thought, nah, I, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to do something else. And, and I actually regret it. It's one of those things that you, I feel you must do. So a little bit about myself. I'm based in Johannesburg in South Africa. Uh, 50% of what I do is talent sourcing training, which I love, which, which is why I'm so excited about our topic today. And the other 50% is keeping my talent sourcing skills fresh and up to date. I also work as a global talent sourcer. So I look forward to having a really good conversation about the, the need for talent sourcing training because Obviously, uh, this is what my whole business is based around, and I feel that the need is huge. So let's start off with some simple stuff. Like, what do we get today? What do we get right? What do we get wrong about uh, sourcing training? That is so interesting. Well, first of all, what we get right is the companies that book us talent sourcing trainers to deliver training. And the other companies who don't, it, it, it literally is that black and white, you know, you, you can see the companies that are investing in their people and uh, investing in their advanced learning when it comes to sourcing or the other companies that turn around and say, no, this is actually too expensive. You know, we, I don't want to invest in this team. This is too much. And that, and that seems to be to, to happen a fair amount. Hasn't happened to me, thankfully, um, too many times, but it's the company that cares enough to, not just take that person out of their role where they've been working as a full 360 recruiter for the last three, four, five, or six years and say, right, you're now going to be a talent sourcer and leaving it at that. That's no good. So, so the things that are the hottest training, I want to say topics, but it's, uh, it's more than that, right? So I would assume that you have beginner, intermediate, advanced uh, and maybe you probably call them something different, but folks that are new, folks that have done it for a little while, folks that have done it for a long time, yeah. right? Yes. Um, what's what do you if if you bifurcate in that way, uh, or if you separate in that way, what's interesting to those sourcers today? That's a that's a very interesting and a very good question. So what's interesting to those sources or what's interesting to me about the different levels of talent sources out there is that everyone leaves a training session, whether it's a joint training session that I've done with another sourcing trainer or my own training saying, wow, I learned something new. And that for me is the beauty of talent sourcing because there's always something else. And, and, and that's a big reason why I still source is that I'm discovering new websites, new ways of doing things, new Chrome extensions. And I, and I think that that's really, really exciting that 
we're never going to know everything. And for me, that's just amazing because I know I'm never going to be bored as a global talent sourcer or even more as a global talent sourcing trainer. I love that. So the delivery of training, you know, we used to, you and I lived in a world where, you know, you'd get in a, a conference room and, uh, or in a training area and you, everybody had rows and everyone sat there and, <laughs> you know, person was at the, up at the front of the, uh, the room and they'd be, you know, blah, give you a bunch of information. Yeah. So obviously things have changed and hopefully in a good way. Um, what do you, what do you see right now in terms of, uh, modality and the way that, that, that it works best for train, uh, for trainers, as well as for, you know, the audience and the trainees. It's actually really super interesting because I've got a couple of clients now. Um, so I'm off to the UK in June to deliver training. And it's actually quite weird because it's wonderful. I mean, I lived in the UK for seven years. I look forward to going back. I'm also presenting at a conference while I'm there. But for me, delivering in-person training is now where it used to be the norm has become really abnormal. Um, right. So even locally, um, I mean, it, I had a company phone me the other day from Cape Town and I'm based in Johannesburg and they said, can you come down and train us for a day? And now that involves like the Hoppers 4 alarm to be at the airport by Hoppers 5 to get on the red eye flight at, at 6, you know, and then fly back the same day. And I just turned around to the client and I just said, you know what? No, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not putting that strain on the environment and carbon emissions. We're going to do the training online. And I actually firmly believe that online training is more effective than um, shooting down there for a day and cramming as much as possible into these people's brains in, you know, eight or nine hours. So I'm putting my foot down now and saying, no, we're going to break the training into bite-sized pieces. And that could be two hours, three hours, four hours, and let's deliver it online. And um, it's really weird. A lot of the companies are, are going for it. I think they realize the power of the online training medium these days. I love that. How do you how do you assess or do you? Let's not be assumptive. Uh, that the, the training stuck, like they they, they got you, your message got across. They got what you were trying to to teach them. How do you you know you were a teacher, so you, you know same question, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing's you know changed other than the names <laughs> exactly. and the places, but uh, how do you know that they got it? Like well, a, well, no one's like shooting rubber bands at each other in, in these good classes. Point. Good yeah, point. yeah, you know, not, I don't well, really Well, that you know anymore. of. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, <right>. exactly. <laughs> do you know what I do is, as, as, as William, I, I really look for light bulb moments. Uh, I have learned to read people incredibly well on a Zoom call. And I'm one of those terrible trainers that insist on having everyone's videos on because I don't want people like not paying attention or answering emails or, you know, that's, that's no, no good for anyone's ROI once they've paid for my training. So, I can really, I can read an audience well in person, but I'm actually really happy at where my skills are at reading people online. So for me, I can see if someone's getting lost. Um, I, I'll always try and ask people questions, you know, the ones who don't put their hand up. That's an old teacher trick, you know, ask them the questions. And also the, the, what I really love after I've delivered training is people who stay in touch with me and they suddenly randomly up in my inbox pops a random Boolean searching and they say, can't get this frigging beep, beep, beep Boolean string to work. Can you help me with it? Because then I know that they are implementing what I've, what I've trained them. And, and for me, that's really exciting. And you can see when you're training the big corporates, you know, some people, they, they're in the training because their bosses said you will attend training today. Um, and you can see it's just like almost like a different kind of feel, but 
I love the enthusiastic people, often the people who've self-funded on my courses, because I know that they're going to walk away with the most. So um, have you have you ever given thought to certification? So everyone gets a certificate of attendance after, you know, um, attending like, my training. Yeah, like testing um, out, like testing out. You know what we I mean? do when I when I run the diversity sourcing workshops with Balash, we put together a little quiz and then people right. get a get a get a certification for their diversity sourcing training. It's not something that I've looked at to be honest personally, mainly just because you know being in South Africa, often the cost of these things can be quite prohibitive. Right. Um, but for me, the best way to test a sourcer if you're interviewing a sourcer is to get them to do some live sourcing for you, and that for me will always show whether my training has worked or not. And, and I always end my training sessions with a, okay, here's a test for everyone. How would you tackle this? Dumb question alert. Would you do, would you do that if you were hiring for, for a sourcer? Would absolutely. You, would you, you'd get them to live source in front of you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's do a screen share and tell me how you'd go about this. Because for me, it's not, I don't care how people get to their answer when it comes to sourcing or right. they get to their short list of candidates. I just love to see how people's brains work. And I think that that's fascinating. You know, I, I haven't heard as much about that. I, you know, a lot of the screening and, uh, you know, skills and assessments and all the, all the stuff, it focuses on other things. And, and I haven't heard as much about, you know what, you know, it doesn't matter if they use SourceWell or seek out or gym or whatever mm. they what, hire easy, like whatever they yeah. use, it's, can they, can they do it? And can they do it in front of you with the real pressure? Exactly. Like, like the, you know, this, you, we're about to be in battle to find this talent globally. Can, yeah. can, can you say you can do it? It looks like, a, you know, it looks like you can do it. All right. Show me that you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned all of those tools and they're fabulous. I mean, I'm big fans of Hire Easy and SourceWell and I have access to all these amazing tools, you know, including C-Card, amazing hiring. It's just one of the perks of doing what I do. And I suppose, you know, maybe to get the imposter syndrome kicking in here, but being part of the global sourcing community. But um, I still love it when people go to Google or they go to Bing and they write me an old school Boolean search string because then I know that whichever company I'm screening them for, or, you know, maybe my company, I don't need to worry about spending a fortune on softwares. You know, they've got the basics and they're just going to make it happen. For me, it's almost like me as a talent sourcing trainer, and it goes back to, you know, my days of being a primary school teacher is that you are empowering people to believe that they can do the sourcing without all of these expensive tools. You almost unlocking that box that lets their, creativity run wild. Um, I always say in my training, you're not Rolf, you're not going to break the internet, go and do whatever you need to do to find whatever you are looking for. And I think that that is the real key with the sources. They're not going to give up. They're tenacious, they're curious, and they're going to do it quicker and cheap and in a more cheaper cost-effective way than anyone else. And that's what I would be looking for, to be honest. So the expectations that uh, your, your employers uh, the corporates have and candidates uh, or, you know, the, the people that you're teaching. So we'll say students and, and, the, and the school, because uh, you're coming in and you're, you're basically managing expectations from both sides. What, what are realistic expectations for training? 
So what what should they expect? Because I'm, what I'm, I'm thinking about is the backdrop of the talent, mm. the perceived talent shortage that we have, right? Yeah. If, if we if we think about it globally, there's really not a talent shortage, or there, it's less than what we what we think it is. But um, you know, I, I I deal with clients all the time, and sometimes they have just crazy expectations. Like, okay, you're going to take <laughs> one course, and then all of a sudden they'll be able to source in an hour. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. okay, that's not going to happen, or the opposite. You know, you train somebody and they think, okay, now I'll be able to get, you know, another job or a different job, et cetera. So like, what are you, what are the expectations? What should the expectations be realistically for trainers and the expectations for their clients and the, and the folks that they train? That's a super interesting question. Cause I sometimes wonder whether I should, you know, throw in the towel with the whole talent sourcing training and focus on building a cloning machine because you can you can give your team as much talent sourcing training as you want or as you can afford. But if they're not going to take it on board and meet you, meet the trainer halfway that they want to learn, they want to change the way that they do things, the training's never going to have a good ROR, return on your investment. So then maybe we must just find a good Java developer and make 50 of them in, in a cloning machine. But for me, the, you, a good trainer is, and, and I often say this with other trainers that I talk with, it's not actually, it's 50% down to your content and it's 50% down to your delivery. Because especially online, I mean, I finish a four-hour training session and, and I'm exhausted because I feel like I've given an Oscar worthy performance because I'm trying to keep everyone's attention. I'm trying to keep everyone focused and engaged. So the expectation comes in is that find the best trainer out there. And there's a lot of good, you know, talent sourcing trainers out there. Find the best match for your team, but also motivate your team to go and, you know, get rid of a LinkedIn recruiter license to maybe drop down to less softwares. You know, if you don't, kind of really encourage them and almost maybe incentivize them to do things differently, they're never going to do it. So for me, the frustrating thing is, is that I can see that I deliver training and, you know, two months later, someone contacts me and says, hey, I'm really battling to find a product manager with design experience. And I'm like, where have you looked? And they turn around and say, LinkedIn. And I'm like, well, that's what you were doing before the training. What about all of the, the other things that I taught you? So there has to be a willingness from both sides. And, and I firmly believe that training isn't easy, that, you know, trainers are doing their best, but if they're not being met by the team who want to learn and change and be different and get more creative, it's always going to be a difficult situation. So you mentioned Oscar-worthy performance. And I love the way that you think there. Um, I, with keynotes, especially the kind of formula, historically for great keynotes this different from training sometimes yes, um, it is. is yeah. is uh it's it's basically in thirds it's inspiration education and entertainment yeah so in any yep. of those any order and kind of mixed yeah, in absolutely. Uh, like like soup or gumbo or whatever what's what's the what's the recipe for the oscar worthy four hour training session Okay, like well, what? I do give people breaks. I don't want anyone to panic that they need to not drink any coffee. But no, you don't need to leave that in there. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no it's, it's four hours. Sit in your chair. Get your laptop out. Just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so for me, I'm, I keep it very interactive. So, I mean, I, I use a tool called Slido, which is very similar to Mentimeter. I'm running live polls. I'm asking people's opinions. 
um, asking people questions when they're going quiet, um, asking them to come to my training with their most difficult roles that they're working on. Let's team source them together. I think it's all about being interactive. You know, one of the biggest things I learned when I was training to be a teacher is that you have the talk and talk approach, which was the old school of the teacher stands up and just talks, you know, at the children. But that's not the best way to learn. It's, a, you know, people learn when they're having fun. People learn when they're interacting. People learn when they're comfortable. People learn when they're comfortable enough to ask any questions that they have. Um, and I think that that's, I mean, I love my training sessions. I love what I do. I really and truly, you know, have a good time. I have a good laugh. And I think that that's the difference um, is that when people are having fun, it's not seen as hard work. Oh my God, we've got four hours of training coming up. Kill me now. You know, that people realize after the first session, hey, there was actually a lot of fun and I, and I learned stuff and I've got takeaways and I, it's going to make me better at my job. And I think that once people realize that you've got them for the rest of your training sessions. I love that. Okay, two questions left. One of them I want to ask you about training in general should, <clears throat> and don't answer until the three things are thrown, thrown at you. Mm -hmm. One is, should training be forced? Two, should training be a privilege? Three, should training be compensated? What's your take on any and all of those three? You know what? I think they all have their place. I quite like rewarding people who work hard, but the difficulty comes in there is that when you look at sourcing, I mm -hmm. always say this in my training, is that people don't know what they don't know. So if you don't have someone to guide them and show them what sourcing is all about, show them some new platforms, then they don't really know what they're missing out on. They're just going to stick to their LinkedIn recruiter license and keep plodding along and recruiting how they were in the mid-90s, you know. Um, so, so William, for me, the thing is, is that all three are good options. I don't think people need to be compensated for training. I think people need to actually have the desire to better themselves and realize that training is actually going to you know, elevate them and, and their position and their careers. Is it waste? Um, is it, do you believe it's wasted on people that don't have that passion? Yeah, I, I, I do. And I've seen it because yeah. I've had, the, I've had those people sitting in my training sessions. Me too. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, William, I've had someone fall asleep in my training. They didn't oh, yeah. want to be there that much. They fell asleep during my online training. And yeah. I had to privately message the um, manager to say, please, can you phone this person and wake them up? Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to be there. And if they're not going to no. be there, they're not going to be there. I mean, no. one way or another, they'll find a way to be staring at their phones or whatever. They'll, they'll, they'll find a way to be distracted if they don't want to be there. Uh, but privilege yeah. is a bit, privilege is a bit kind of eighties sounding, you know, it's almost like, okay, the top percent or this very select group, et cetera. It kind of goes, yeah. it kind of goes, it, it is not democratized. It's, it's no. going backwards. And also then what happens is those people are already good sources. Then you're going to give them more training. You know, the gap right. between the people who are really performing and the rich like, kids, non-performers. Yeah, it's yeah, I agree with that. It's, yeah. it's it's not the way we should be doing things. Okay. So lastly, as people think about this stuff, and we don't need to get into specific dollars and things like that, but it's how do you how should people think about the cost of sourcing training? When they think about your time, you know, uh, Balas, any, any of the great traders that are yeah. out there, yeah. how, how should they think about, how do, I, how do I estimate? How do I figure out like what the budget for something like this is? 
Sure, that's a very good question because I've never been on the one on the sitting with the budget and deciding how to spend it. Um, well, I think I, a, I, think I have, a lot and it's uh, <laughs> it's it's like Vanessa, it's like rolling dice. Like like, like uh, what do you think it is? I don't know. Oh, it's eight. All right, well, let's figure that out. You, know, you just don't. I mean, seriously, it is that random. So I, I think some some guardrails are are useful for people. And again, yeah. I don't we don't need dollars and cents. I'm just, I'm more trying to think about, you need to think about yeah. training as a percentage of, you know, whatever, like how do, yeah. how do they structure it in their minds? No, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think for me, like when people say, like if I'm setting my, my independent training and I say, this is the cost of my training and they turn around and say, wow. Okay. And I'm just like, how much was the value of your last placement? And they come back with, and, I, and I'm not lying here, 10 times the amount. And I'm like, so you sort of want to pay for training for yourself. Meanwhile, your average placement fee is a lot higher. You know, it's it boils down to, you know, the training is going to assist you to make more placements. So for me, it's a bit of a no-brainer. I mean, I pay to attend training courses still myself now because I know it's going to make me better at what I do. So it's a bit of a no-brainer, especially if it's affordable. You know, you don't want to have to go and live on um you know water and bread for the rest of the month but if you can afford it why do people quibble over training costs i don't get it i don't think they should because i i think it's i think it's short-sighted right so yes. i think if you're if you're thinking about it like that it's like well you know we ha- we're having these tough positions to fill it's like <laughs> well <laughs> Mm. what if we could fill them sooner what if we actually gave you know so it is it's a bit short-sighted i think some of that comes down to at least my this is my belief is that they don't understand it's not that they don't trust training or they don't believe in training they don't know how to cost it they don't know how to think of it structurally on like okay how to pay for it and justify it to the team so it's probably work that we have to do to give them more of a business case and give them a better understanding of how to build the business case internally for with TA, with HR, with, you know, CFO, et cetera. Mm. Like here's the business case for why we invest in training. We can take time to fill from 60 days to 30 days, whatever, you know, whatever. Yes. Give them, give them numbers. What I always, what I always say in my training for everything we can trust in God, but for everything else is data. If you can back up anything that you say with data, you are sorted. But I think the other thing that, and it happens to me a lot is a lot of people will, will, will say, okay, well then let's send this team on the training. Then this team does the training. They love it. They're flying. They're making placements. And next thing I'm training the entire company. And I'm like, well, if only you'd believe this woman sitting in South Africa about how everyone needed to do the training in the first place. You you got there faster. Yeah. Well, exactly. You you pilot it, but sometimes a pilot is a way for them to test, to make sure. Absolutely. I'm going to do a hundred people. I want them to go through it. And then let's see. And once they see it, it's like, okay, now I want to turn you loose on the 700 other people that we need to train. It's like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, so, yeah no, absolutely. And, and you know, I don't, I don't actually really mind that because no. I don't know. I just, I enjoy the training so much that um, I would hate to be paid and deliver a really bad course. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've even got COVID at the moment and I spent the morning training because I know I could still deliver it. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I love it. Well, it's so much fun. Vanessa, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for carving out time for us. 
It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for the chat, William. And yeah, if anyone wants to get hold of me, all I can say is I'm not difficult to find online. <laughs> and, if, and, if, <laughs> and if you can't find me, that's actually a problem. If you're a source. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, thanks again. And thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.